Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, Wabos return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and if I were a titan, my name would be Dolus, god of deception. And mine would be Aphrodite. What? Goddess of containment foam. How? Aphros uh, actually means foam. It's from the foam of Uranus's several, severed genitals when they were thrown in the sea by his son Cronus. Can you just can you just start the show? Look it up. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wild Bo's world of legendary naming, hilarious and disturbing fireside chats, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week on the show, we are fully exposed to Arc 18 Radiation with chapters 18.2 and 18.3. The big boy legend explains the situation and name drops all the titans he knows. Real cool legend. Then Victoria and her various algorithmically decided team head to the old fallen encampment and have some important moments of bonding and conversation before they head out to confront some titans. Matt, what did you think of these two chapters? Well, I mean, a great beginning to this arc. I mean, obviously, 18.1 was last week, but mm-hmm. overall, this is this is the, you know, setting up of what the conflict is going to be for the coming arc. In 18.2, we get this big meeting where we establish what the threats are. Uh, we, we get some background about each of them and, and what we can expect going forward. And then 18.3 is this really very, very interesting chapter of, um, I mean, th- there's always kind of a, the characters touch base with each other chapter toward the beginning of these arcs. That's that's kind of the structure. But this one is uh, doing some very interesting things with that particular um, part of the structure, I think. Yeah, I agree. And it's also kind of like a, you know, you're right that we do these touching base at the beginning of arcs thing. This feels like the touching base at the beginning of an act thing, as yeah. in the final act. This is possibly, I mean, maybe not, but possibly one of the last moments our characters are going to get to just chill with each other before we approach the climax of the story. And um, and we're seeing them all kind of take advantage of that. At least the book is taking advantage of that being one of the final moments to really have characters ping off each other. It's a huge scene, right? Like, I think you point this out in, in the notes as we were talking about, as we were going through the chapter, but there's like, like 30 characters. It feels like all in the one scene, all talking amongst themselves at the same time. It's, it's almost everyone that we care about in the story on a personal Mm -hmm. level, you know, and also torso. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Got him. Got him. And, and the people, the people who we don't care about just kind of wander off. So true. That's true. Um, yeah, I mean, let, let's get into this. Um, so we open up with 18.2. And, you know, so as we start out, I guess I'll just remark that I really thought that a big chunk of this arc was going to be a long and complex planning and negotiating meeting between all these different CAPE groups that were present in this room. And I was actually pretty surprised that this meeting was over um, as quickly as it is. It's basically like half of this chapter. Um, and I was also surprised that Victoria's whole family is here and she doesn't say a word to any of them. There, there's no Amy interaction. There's no Carol interaction. Uh, there's this is like a passing mention of Uncle Mike being here and then it's just she just leaves. Um, 
so I thought that was interesting considering like like you said everything else about this feels like it's culminating toward the end so I was a bit surprised that there wasn't like a a, a touching base there yeah I think I understand what you meant. Like when I first read this in your notes, I was like, really? You were kind of surprised that I expect Victoria to avoid her family when at all possible. Um, But in the framing of this being the last moment before the end, that makes a lot of sense. I think the reason why, if I had to guess, would be because the end of the story goes through Victoria's family Mm -hmm. one way or the other. So they don't need maybe this moment of of like low key talking amongst themselves before we move into the climax because they will be the climax. So that would be my guess on that. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess I didn't expect the whole arc or a big part of the arc to be this meeting. Um, I expected we'd get into it cause I think things are moving to start a little faster, but I was surprised that it was just this one chapter. I think I was with you on that. I, I saw this as something that like maybe extends out a couple chapters and like we're cutting in and out to different moments. Maybe wild, but does something with, with, time shifts uh, or specifically cutting back to moments of meetings that he's done before in this book. But no, this is pretty straightforward laying out the information section. I think like you said earlier, the velocity of things is ramping up. And so there's just, we we don't, we're not able now uh, um, um, pacing wise to slow down and have a, have a long meeting. It's, it has to be like, all right, this is what the situation is. Everybody got there. Yeah. And I mean, Um, that's, that's true, you know, meta textually, but I think it's absolutely true in the, in, the story as well. I mean, yeah. that's kind of what Victoria says about the meeting is like the reason that legend's good at this is because he's good at just getting facts straight to the point. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. Well, enough about what didn't happen. <laughs> um, as we get into this meeting legend, like you said, leads the meeting. He, he lays out the current situation, basically fills in the details that we uh, don't know and then connects those details to the framework as we do understand it. Yeah. And I love this. This kind of whole thing starts off on, on Victoria kind of, ruminating on legend and and what kind of person he is like who what he is and isn't to the people he's respected because he's earned that respect like i think i think the the sentence victoria says he's been in more like end of the world crisis situations than than other capes have been in the field total Mm -hmm. um and so even if he's got this questionable past the stuff with cauldron he's he's just generally so well respected that everything that he said comes off as straight there it just the fact no room for manipulation no room for the skeptic to wonder if he was being deceptive it's just filling everyone in and i think metatextually this is the book telling us this as well right this section is is not trying to trick you this is just this is just we're laying out the facts here are the titans here are their names here's here are their powers we're laying out our understanding as we know it and that doesn't mean that the wardens can't be wrong about the stuff. We're going to talk about what they think is going on and, and how you and I maybe think that they're not right about that. But it does say that, like, there's no manipulation going on here. Take this as fact. Don't, 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 don't chocolify this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think, I think the legend serves both that role in and out of the story. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, it's funny you, you mentioned him having a questionable past and I'm, I'm literally going through my head, like who, what characters in this story don't have something of a questionable past? true very Um, true so so i I think i think at this point in time considering where everything stands now his his being part of the cauldron conspiracy is sort of inconsequential compared to everything else that's happened since then gosh yeah that was uh it was like 20 crises ago yeah yeah right yeah so one key key piece of information that we understand pretty well by now but um now has been made explicit to the characters as well as you know to us is that the tightening 
happens to people who were in danger of losing touch or, or struggling. Yeah, and I think you're right that there's something the book had kind of hinted at in the last couple chapters. But like I just talked about with everything else that's going on, having this character serving as the kind of unquestioned exposition guy confirms it for us. And and interestingly enough, I think this is something that is rather important. Legend reinforces the and here in this statement. It's not just capes who are struggling or losing touch. It's capes who are struggling and who are losing touch. And we're in the proximity of the collapse of reality, right? So so there's not a chance that anyone anywhere is just going to do this. They have to be – proximity still matters. And and this, of course, makes total sense. But it also is one of several beats throughout this chapter that reinforce this idea of, hey, um, if st- things start going bad, if you start feeling bad and things are get going bad – get out of there, leave. Mm-hmm. Like, and like, I think we see Armstrong specifically say later in the chapter, if the damage starts spreading again, or if you get alerts, capes, especially capes who don't feel confident or capable should immediately retreat. And so we've established this, we've established this, this and factor, how it is both of those things. And so retreating could save you from this. And I wonder how many of our characters are actually going to listen to that when the time comes, because if I know something about these breakthrough people, they don't, like retreating, especially when they're feeling not 100% themselves. Yeah, yeah, especially our heroes. Like, it's hard to imagine them being like, all right, guys, I'm not doing so hot. I'm, I'm going to bail. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, hard to imagine any of our friends doing that. So. Yeah, I mean, especially like Kenzie, for example, who's, whose idea of being on the front line, being out there is one of the most important parts mm-hmm. to her. Um, I don't see her saying, okay, you're right. I'm not feeling good. I should step back. Yeah. I think what we may be dancing around is uh, the fact that Victoria is <laughs> the least likely to retreat when she's feeling bad because yeah. this whole book has been a, a sequence of events <laughs> of her being just like emotionally thrown through the ringer and yeah. and reacting by doubling down basically. Sometimes I just feel like I'm too mean to Victoria and I just didn't want to, I just wanted to, to hint towards it without saying it. But yes, that's who, that's who I was talking well, about. Well, yeah, I mean, we're going to spend a lot of the next chapter talking about how she's not doing great. So um, true. true, true. <clears throat> yeah. So, so we also get uh, the down low on a number of the specific powers that these Titans have, which leads one to suspect that our heroes will eventually be fighting them in this arc. Or <laughs> attempting to fight them. Mm-hmm. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. So one of the most fun elements of this chapter, I think, is the naming of the Titans. So we're going to go through all these. Fumehood is Titan Eve, named by the Malfunctions. Contessa is Titan Fortuna, named by Legend. Yeah. And so, I mean, I love the beat where the Malfunctions get to name their fallen friend. I think that's so great. And of course, Eve is perfect for rotten apple Titan. Uh, that's that's wonderful. Uh, it fits very well. And I wonder, I wonder if we could make like an original sin comparison here i don't know um yeah pro- i mean probably that's <laughs> some people make their whole livelihood making comparisons like that um, that is true that is true but you could say that killing that pregnant lady was the original sin and the, and then she never she had to i don't know <laughs> does that mean that that eve eating the apple was the inciting incident of the world I mean, yes, that's literally, it's oh, okay. literally true. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I never thought of it that, that way. Um, so, But let's talk about Contessa, though. Yeah. Because this is interesting, right? Legend has decided to name her Fortuna, which is her name. <laughs> yeah. And, and my guess is that very few people actually know that, right? Yeah. Um, like, probably some, some of the higher echelon of Cauldron, us, 
maybe that's it. Maybe that's it, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, who who is left of the higher echelon of Cauldron? He, he's the only triumphant member who's alive. I mean, that's Idolin, true. Idolin's ghost might know it. <laughs> um, that's true. But um, uh, yeah, it strikes me that he might literally be the last person who knows it. Uh, or yeah. I guess the, the number boys might know it. I mean, he, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, they know. might. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, this is it's it's this person who he does who he does he doesn't call a friend he specifically avoids calling her a friend but kind of publicly honors her contribution to gold morning while also admitting that she did a bunch of terrible stuff on the same time um so i don't know there's like a there's like a, a bit of respect and loss here that's evident in in choosing this name yeah i mean i don't know maybe i'm reading too much into it here but it's almost like he's saying she is the, the, whatever choice she made she's now true to herself again which I'm, I'm going with that because that's kind of Oh, I like that. Our our theory is that is that maybe she, maybe she didn't necessarily know that she was going to get tightened and effectively die, but she was trying to go back onto the path of being Fortuna and and less Contessa, and so this so he's honoring her by remarking on that. I guess, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. So Wablo never misses an opportunity to tap that sweet sweet Seamurg terror. <laughs> we have this moment. The Seamurg was perched on her shoulder. The video feed fritzed momentarily, and I could see faces in the crowd flinch. Uh, seriously, though, Seamurg has reached the status of like the Chekhov's gun that has been up there so long, so prominently, for so many words that you forget what a gun is and what it's for. <laughs> yeah, I think I think at this point that the phrase Chekhov's gun just doesn't mean anything anymore. We should just call it Seamurging at this point. <laughs> Um, and and I like this because there are still a few unanswered questions waiting for us in this novel, right? It hasn't revealed its entire hand yet, but I can't, I can't think of one quite as fascinating to me as what the hell has this winged lady been up to? And I think that's mostly because we don't even know what her goals are. Like generally we have these shards and, the, and these shards are tightening and we have a general basic understanding of what their goal is, right? Um, but this thing, what does the Seamurg want and how is what she's doing right now move her towards what she wants more? Uh-huh. Like, it's just this blank space in the book that we have no I mean, we could make like speculation on it based on what she was doing at the end of the last book. But I mean, that's all it would be like. We, it's hard to know what she's doing without knowing what she even wants in the first place. And that is one big open mystery of the story. Yeah, you know, if, if if you had to guess at it, it would be something like she wants to maintain the status quo where whatever shard is in control of her gets to keep, um, gets to stick around. I, that, that, I don't know exactly because that's the thing is is we very kind of intentionally severed that connection where oh the the inbringers they just want to keep keep fighting uh, Idolin. Right, right. Um, they did they did help kill Sion. Um. For some reason, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, that's a great point. Like, we we could say because they want to because they want to maintain the status quo, but there's equally good explanations for why they would do that. I think. Right. I mean, the only tangible bit of evidence we have is that she was attempting, we think, to make another Idolin, right? Yeah. Um, and that's all we know. And I like again, we could speculate out from that as to what her wants are but that that's all it would be it would be speculation it is this this big old black spot on the book right now that we just can't fill in with any color yet because we just we just don't know anything yeah yeah so we see that the heroes think contessa is trying to create a network in order to expand the damage further 
And this chapter and the next chapter will have a lot to do with this idea, this idea that the heroes are trying to stop her from creating this network. Uh, my interpretation is that Contessa and her little network are on the side of humanity, and if they need to spread the cracks, then they're at least trying to do something helpful there, and that either the heroes don't know this or don't trust this. I, I could be completely off base here. I I'm, I'm basically envisioning this as a situation where they're, the, the heroes are actually hurting the people who are trying to help them and don't know it but but i don't know what do you think yeah i I think that's generally my take too um i've kind of in in my head mentally like categorized them as people that i think are good titan versus Mm -hmm. people that i think are bad titan um there is something interesting happening here though at this part in the conversation they mentioned that contessa has networked with three other titans and i made the assumption the first time i read this i was like okay well definitely eve Definitely Dauntless. And then one other, which we don't know yet. But then later, a little bit in the chapter, it it makes this a lot more explicit. It says which Titans are specifically networking with which, right? Um, And it says Dauntless and Eve, for sure. And then Fortuna, uh, it has connections with with, uh, Bows, Victors, and Scenarios Titans, like those ones specifically, no one else. And then we see Oberon and Augur, also have connections as well. So I thought based on what we read in fume hoods that she was connecting to Fortuna, but it doesn't seem like it. Um, so I, I don't know what this does as far as our hypothesis of Contessa is going to help going to be good side. Um, because I'm, I'm pretty confident that dotless and fume hood are trying to help do like do good generally. Yeah. I, um, uh, perhaps, perhaps we could ha- once again, have to have this, this perspective where, Contessa's network does what does want something like what Contessa thinks is for the best, but that doesn't line up with what Dauntless thinks is for the best. Sure, sure. Um, or it could just be that Contessa really did lose herself um, because this this does seem to have diverged from what she thought would happen. Yeah. So. Or Contessa's just like uh, just playing like like playing the spy. She's gonna go in, get those three under control, and then mm-hmm. link them all together. I don't know. I don't know. But it is interesting because it is not quite what I thought was going on. So mm-hmm. um, we do know that Dauntless and or we don't know we're, we're an educated guess that Dauntless and Fumehood Titans are on the same side and are generally on the side of good. Um, and we've kind of seen this a little bit confirmed in the story. Like we saw that that Eve was being defensive, like really only trying to protect herself and striking out against people trying to attack her. Uh, we know Dauntless has been just chilling for, I don't know, a month. how long has it been? A month? Um, so we have we have we have some information in the book to to reinforce that idea. Um, but yeah, I think Fortuna remains a mystery. Yeah. Random question. Like Dauntless is the only one who exists in every reality, right? Like, yeah, it hasn't been mentioned if the other ones like penetrate between realities. To my knowledge, that has not been mentioned. That'd be, yeah, I I have no idea. I guess, I guess we just don't know. I mean, I kind of figured they existed. I mean, they existed like where they exist, shard space is there, right? So it's not reality per se. But I mean, to your point, like, which, which reality would you need to go to to get to them is a valid question. Um, Yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't I don't think they're in all of them. Yes. Yeah, I think I have. I'm popping up with questions that we can't answer right now. Um, But but they're good questions yeah. to ask because now we will remember them uh, when they are answered and say, oh, yeah, we were wondering about yeah. that. Yeah. 
Uh, so other observations, they don't seem to be aware that Titan Oberon is a fusion of Prancer and Moose. Mm-hmm. They, they think it's just Prancer. Um, and, and very exciting, we finally get Intex confirmation that his name was Moose Knuckle officially. <laughs> Not that we ever doubted this, but, you know. Yeah, it's, it's really great. Um, and, I mean, it kind of makes sense because we see from the description that he's presenting kind of prancerly right like mm-hmm. he's got his his big defining characteristic is his the antlers that are kind of coming out of his head and down his back mm-hmm. um so that that makes sense poor poor moose uh my guess if i had to guess my guess is that oberon is going to be pretty important in the future and i think he's gonna join team good titan that's my guess i mean we see at the end of 18.3 that that eve and him are trying to make a connection and the humans are like, oh, crap, that's bad. But is it? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I'm I'm just unsure. S- uh, Titan Scotty, is a, a, she's, a, she's got an axe for a head, a flaming axe, an axe fire. of fire, a fire, fire, fire axe. chopping implement. Um, she teleports into maximum danger. That's, that's what she does. Uh, I love this moment because as I was reading it, I was like, um, wouldn't this massive meeting of capes qualify as a candidate for maximum danger? And then Legend immediately says while looking at the camera don't worry we've got our heaviest hitters <laughs> engaging her now otherwise uh she would be here already <laughs> yeah so it's, yeah. it's great when wildbo predicts your uh your complaints yeah yeah as you're as you're complaining them exactly exactly <laughs> uh, so yeah the I, uh, go ahead i'm gonna guess scotty will be bad titan side if we're if we're if we're picking sides I mean, that, this war so far it definitely seems to just be like wantonly destructive, right? So yeah, yeah. Um, so the Nemean Titan. Oh, by the way, I don't know how to pronounce pronounce any of these words. The, uh, the Nemean Titan was formerly Victor, and uh, as as we talk about this Titan, Victoria goes on a little mental tangent about Victor, and I really want to talk about this because she has this anecdote. And the anecdote is this whole little two-paragraph short story about he had vict- how Victor had victimized this uh, poor software guy, drained his his abilities. Um, she chased Victor down, but he, he escaped, um, and it was it's all very dramatic. And then we learn the next paragraph that it was all bullshit, and all Victor really did in this scenario was participate in this software guy's insurance scam, and and the, and didn't hurt him at all. So, I, like, of course, then she lists a few other horrible things that Victor did actually do. So it's not like Victor is this misunderstood guy who never actually hurt anyone. But I just thought it was interesting and funny that the one incident where Victoria was actually involved and has firsthand experience was uh, what it was. Yeah, I mean, I think it goes to help understand the frustrations that Glory Girl felt, right? Yeah. And why she was almost brutalized into brutality by the state of the world. It's just like, here's her one interaction with this guy that she knows is shit, and it was all just fake and no one actually gets sufficiently punished and like mm-hmm. n- like just no no good was done yeah. in this whole interaction. Yeah. Um, I, this is really interesting, though, this whole section with Victor. And, and I want to focus on this for a little bit, because when you combine this with what we saw of him in 17.Z, it gets really interesting because Victoria hates this guy. Like she's specifically like, fuck him. And she has good reason to. Right. I think the things that she describes him doing are pretty horrific. Like, I don't even want to repeat them because it's, yeah. it's really disturbing. It's terrible. Yeah. But Victor is the one that played by the rules 
and did all the right things in, in the ways that Scribe didn't, right? Victor's the one that made the public apology that reject that fully rejected um, his old beliefs and his old group and and did everything he was supposed to. He adopted a religion that was he was using as to say, like, look how much I've changed. Now, um, we get a little hint from Scribe in 17.Z that that might be bullshit, like that she kind of hints that his how he adopted this religion might just totally be bullshit and he doesn't believe any of it, but we don't actually know that for sure. And it, I think it would be very on par for scribe to, um, to just assume that of someone, um, mm-hmm. especially at, at the, the place she's in and her recovery from all this stuff, assuming someone would just bullshit. We don't know. The point is Victoria sees him as becoming a Titan as kind of confirming that he never really changed. Right. Um, she says here, I fully believe that what he was now was a consequence of his old monstrousness of doors. He'd closed weaknesses in his character. He'd ignored in the course of imagining and even forcing weakness onto perceived others. Um, and, and look, she could be right. I don't know. We're pretty sure. I think that the Nemean Titan will not be on team good Titan, judging by how he immediately attacked <laughs> all the capes around him as soon as he transformed. But I, I'm I doesn't this seem like an interesting way of thinking right I mean that yeah. like well uh, so I I don't like to play the is this character secretly a mirror to Victoria game with every single character <laughs> but when the guy's name is Victor and her name is Victoria I can't help but think maybe there's some connections meant to be made some kind of parallels and and like th- this th- like the the wording she chooses you know this is the result of doors he'd close, weaknesses in his own character he'd ignored in the course of imagining and even forcing weaknesses onto perceived others. Like, Victoria could be accused of that, right? I mean, maybe it's not the most airtight of cases, but but she definitely ignores weaknesses in her own character. Sure. I, 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 think, I think what she may be doing here in this exact moment is forcing weaknesses onto perceived others um, since, like... Victor, uh, Victor is not a, not a not a good dude. He's he's a bad dude. But right. But she's actually wrong about the reason why he went Titan here. Like she just is. Like we we know that basically. So yeah, we got to see that. Like he was he was trying to reach out. Like he was feeling lost and alone, and he had broken up with his girlfriend and was trying to reach out and rekindle with some of the members of his family, and got rejected from that yeah. and gave up. And yeah, I mean like. Like, I, I don't I don't want to spend all our time talking about I think this guy's good, actually, because you're no. absolutely right. Not absolutely yeah. not. But like we get beats later in the story about how Tristan like the this the story seems to be setting up the fact that Tristan is a very high risk of Titan Titanifying. Yeah. Um, will this be because of what he did? Will this be because of the monstrousness that he he inflicted upon someone else a long time ago? Or will it be because of weakness in his character? I don't think so. Like, I, I, I don't, I maybe, I don't know, but I just think this is like a bad and dangerous way of thinking, um, to connect that event to, um, this is because of the terrible person he was. Yes. Yes. Because, because we, again, not to repeat myself, but we pretty much know that this is because he felt very alone. Mm-hmm. And the reason he felt alone was actually because he had rejected the you know the white supremacist gangs and all of that stuff so so i i mean i really do think she's just she she's it's almost wishful thinking here um yeah as, as to like oh he he went titan because he's a bad guy it's like well no he went titan because he was lonely and that, which can happen to anyone victoria yeah um, yeah so well it, it's just it's just a very stark 
it's very a stark comparison to go from an interlude where we see our point of view character scribe who is admittedly awful um like watch as he transforms into this thing and being like no we were family mm-hmm. like no and and it'd be this kind of devastating moment of failure to cut to victoria saying fuck this guy yeah. right it's like the the contrast there is very abrupt yeah and i think i think emphasizes to me at least like this oh whoa whoa mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that that reaction surprising yeah yeah uh I think, I mean, I do think this is kind of an important moment, actually. And I think we might even come back to it. Sometime. Sure. Yeah. There's also this beat that I, I didn't want to pass over because there's a beat here where they're talking about scenario, the Ashen Titan. And Victoria is kind of wondering to herself, well, why did this happen to her? She seemed confident and focused when I talked to her. But then the warden seemed to have a hypothesis about Titans losing track of their own humanity or something. How did that connect? What didn't I know? And so she's trying to kind of solve the puzzle of why scenario went Titan. And that that is an unknown in our world, right? Like that's something not even we, the reader, really knows for sure. And it made me wonder if we're setting this up as a as a specific mystery that's going to end up mattering to the mm-hmm. plot in the future i don't know um it just seems like we draw this out very specifically here well i mean i, I want to connect it back to what we were just talking about and say you know again draw out the specific language used she'd seen confident and focused when i had talked to her okay who seems who else seems confident and focused pretty much all the time no matter what's yeah. going on under the surface man you're absolutely right yeah yeah, yeah. so so like here we have basically victoria like in almost almost in a in an uncharacteristically self-deceptive way failing to see her similarities to these two people who who just went titan yeah and um I, like it's getting to the point where i'm i'm like so sure she's gonna go titan that it, that it feels like it's gonna be a a, a misdirect <laughs> you know like <laughs> right, right. but but yeah I, I mean we'll see right like like clearly we're supposed to be worried about her though is i think yeah. the, the thing we can draw a line under the problem is I feel like the book's doing that with Tristan as well, right? I yeah. think it's like so obviously winking towards that that I don't know. And and this could also apply to other people, true, true. Yeah. There's, there's other people who who are similar in this particular way. They 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 seem put together, um but actually they they are isolated, you know. Yeah. 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 Uh so poor Mr. Bao, our our helpful <laughs> helpful guy, our helpful friend is now Titan Ophion. Uh he attacks with needles that travel huge distances and cause instant severe mutations. Hooray. Yeah. And then uh, Hunter is named Titan Arachne. I love these names. We're going to have to, we haven't done a name game in probably like five months, but we're going to do one at the end of this episode. Awesome. These are all really good. Yeah. Uh, So the strange Titan fucks me up, man. (laughs) Basically it's like, yeah, we know there's a stranger class Titan. That's it. We have no other information. Um, it causes hallucinations, but maybe that's like a different Titan that's near it for all we right. have. Like, we don't we don't know. Have fun with that one. Yeah, it could be two. Yeah. Maybe one. Yay. Uh-huh. Uh, do you think one or both of them could be the character Blindside? I had someone tweet that at me when I was doing my live tweet, so I guess that's a, a theory amongst the community. Um, we haven't seen that guy <laughs> in a long time, so could be. Did not occur to me, um, but... I, I'm I'm hard pressed to think of any other powerful strangers that have been in the story, and I mean it, these these all don't have to be people we've met. Axe Axe Head is not someone that we've met, but um, sure, sure, it would feel kind of satisfying if it was Blindsight. Blindsight. I mean, I mean, it is like it is like the the whole we can't look at it thing seems yeah. like a specific reference, but I don't know. It could not be. We don't know. 
yeah, I mean, I, I, I put better than even odds that it is, but um, yeah, we'll cool. see. Uh, Augur, uh, the newest Titan, hasn't been given a Titan name yet, but um, he's apparently fighting the machine army right now, which I guess is good. Hell yeah, it's good. And he's linked with Prancy Moose. So I'm going to go ahead and be positive about that one. Okay. I don't know if that's right, but that's what I'm trying to trying to do here. Everybody place your bets on what team the Titans are on. <laughs> uh, before we moved on from this, I wanted to focus on one thing we see in this section that I think we like knew about before, but the text has never said it explicitly here. And I found it fascinating is this idea that none of the Titans have faces. Victoria points this out when describing the Ashen Titan. She says a woman in light gray with hair like fire, like the rest of the Titans, she had no face. And this is really interesting to me because we've talked it like just because in this book, we've talked about masks and, and faces so much in this story. And then we have these Titans, these these huge monstrous versions of people who have lost their way and lost their humanity. And how is that represented? How is losing your humanity represented? Well, you don't have a face anymore. Even the ones that look vaguely humanoid don't have a face anymore. And I, I just love that as this little, little detail um, to, to sell this general message. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's almost like they're just the mask now and their, their whole form is now the mask um, their whole body rather than just, you know, just their face. And, and cause I mean, we, we've known forever that the, the, the entities consider the, the mask to be very important. They, they yeah. absorb, they absorb part of that just as the host absorbs aspects of the shard. And now that's all that's left. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a really, really cool visual and, and yeah, it's just a really cool visual way of, of communicating that information. I love I it. I love it. So then Chevalier takes over the briefing. He passes it off to Armstrong and Victoria relatively quickly. He's a, he's a man of few words. Mm-hmm. Small small beat here. Maybe it doesn't mean anything, but uh, Victoria has opinions about Epios's tinker capabilities. Um, you know, she kind of points out that that uh, that Epios has, has kind of fumbled some things recently, and and, and I, I felt this suspicion that like maybe Epios is Epios, I don't know, Epios is messing some things up on purpose, like they, they have some kind of agenda. I don't know if this is going to go anywhere, though. I'm just, it just kind of stuck out to me. Yeah, you might be eating chocolate on this one. I, yeah. I I, do. I mean, like the background here is that it was Epios's algorithm that was pairing people together while Victoria was benched. And Victoria specifically notes that Capricorn and Precipice were put with the Shepherds and Sveta was put with the Irregulars. So, you know, um, things that probably would be bad if you used your brain like those matchups wouldn't be good but it seems like the algorithm uh is putting teams together based on history and maybe like not like the the details of that history yeah. like sveta and egg know each other yeah yeah it's right. fine um it could just be incompetence like there could be something else going on here i think that's an interesting thought we should keep that in the back of our heads as we go forward but um, it could just be another ding against the warden's competency, right? Like we have this this possible subtextual undercurrent that we're we're exploring how actually incompetent this organization is, and maybe that's part of it. I don't know. And then ultimately, everything turned out fine. I mean, I mean, not not literally one hundred percent fine, but I don't think anyone died or was grievously injured in that encounter. So, despite the fact that people were put with people who rubbed them wrong, um, no one died. So, yeah, and I mean. It, it 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 puts Victoria with like every person she cares about too. Like every yeah. group, like in the future, when we break out of this meeting and she goes off with a group, it's assumingly that algorithm that put all the characters we love together. Um, and also we see it puts her 
the it, it shows the and she's speculating on this, but it makes sense that it shows the location they're going to specifically because it's close to the patrol block that Victoria knew the, mm. all those people that she knew, which is how she gets all those sweet, sweet guns. Um, so, you know, it seems like it's working out. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I love this whole sequence where Victoria is giving her speech as as someone who gives a lot of presentations, some of them to relatively large groups. I felt very seen by this, uh, like the, the self-talk she engages in, the, the awareness of the physical nervousness as she approaches the moment of it, the awareness of the stakes of doing a bad job. It, it all just felt very like, yes, this is this is exactly what it's like, exactly precisely what it's like to, to get yeah. ready to to prepare to walk up for it and then, and then to start giving a, a, a you know a presentation or a talk or whatever. Sure. And everyone will be shocked to learn that I love speaking publicly. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But I still get I still get the right the pre speech nervousness. Yeah. Like even if you even if you love talking in front of people and love being the center of attention like I do, um, I still think there's nerves that happen when you have to actually step up. And so I I related to that a lot, too. I mean, it is very much a reminder of how conscious and aware she is of her presentation. Like that is just something that is innate to Victoria. Uh, It is innate to Victoria because it was instilled in her by her mother. And I I love that in this moment, we do see her look towards her mother, who is like beaming with pride. She's Mm -hmm. seeing her daughter up there on the stage addressing this collection of capes. And it's like, this is everything I ever wanted from my daughter right here, Um, which is, I mean, not great. (laughs) Yeah, right. It doesn't make me happy to see Carol like happy. <laughs> I mean, not in, in this situ- regard. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, in this particular situation, it's like, yep, we're all gonna go have to fight these these you know basically worse than inbringer things, and um, kind of an inappropriate time to be smiling. I guess I don't know. Well, and yeah. I just don't. I just don't want Carol to feel like. I did it right, oh, you know. Yeah, like yeah, I did yeah. it right because she's look where she is now. I, I did this, and I was like, no, yeah. <laughs> she did this in, in spite of you, not because of you. Yes, yes um, exactly. So yeah, it is. It is a good moment, though. I really, I really like your UFC. Right, like the straight back, good posture, like thinking over what she has to say. It's it's a really good moment. Yeah. So Victoria's speech mostly concerns the dangers of the shard world. Uh, and hints strongly that you could probably enter the, that world through the black cracks in reality. She notes that people respond to her words with a degree of confusion, which is understandable because, I mean, this would all be pretty nonsense if we hadn't already read these events. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I love the beat about confusion because it, it is such a diff- like it's literally a different plane of existence. And the idea of just casually talking about this to people and them getting it would not be natural, right? Like, cause remember, there's like this whole idea of the contradictory rise or slope of the plane, right? And so she's trying to communicate that like broadly, this idea to them of like, this place isn't like anything you've experienced before. And the images, the the facets of yourself that you see in the reflections, all these things are such alien concepts that, yeah, people wouldn't just get this. Yeah, I mean, she, she all kind of offhandedly says stuff like, like pause and reinterpret the landscape. And yeah. Like, unless you already know what she's talking about, that you don't really like there's no way you would get what she means by reinterpret the landscape. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And my favorite part of all this, though, is like as much as she kind of argued with Defiant about what they did and if they, what they did was necessary and was it OK, she opens her speech with, yeah, don't don't do what we did. Definitely. Definitely don't do that. That was dumb. That was super dumb. <laughs> don't yeah. do that. I, I liked that. I think maybe a, a few days afterwards have made her realize that 
that was pretty aggressive and uh, it worked out. But yeeks. Yeah, right. I mean, it's certainly not a thing that she would want to do again, knowing, yes, you know what it entails. So, yeah, yeah. we also do learn that powers aren't disabled in shard space, just reduced is the new bit of information we learn in the notes to Victoria's speech, which means, I mean, what this does is basically leave the door open for cool battles in shard space itself. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like in the back of my head, when, when we said specifically the powers don't work there, I was like, well, okay, the climax of the book can't take place here because no powers. Come on. But wild Bo is basically allowing that door to exist, whether he's planning for that eventuality or not, it is possible the book says that was that was my thought as well this uh we we now know hey there's those black cracks everywhere all you have to do is go into them and then you're back in that in that domain where Mm -hmm. where again that's a domain where where according to victoria you can you can affect the shards on a deeper level like if you damage a a shard there then you're you're basically damaging that parahuman's power Mm -hmm. um stuff like that so we'll see we'll see yeah so there's one more moment I want to touch on here before we we wrap everything up in the, the meeting. Uh, after Victoria finishes her part of the speech, she's still standing up there as Armstrong talks on. And that's when she looks and sees her mom and sees her mom beaming at her. And she kind of ignores that. Well, she yells at herself about it first and then calls herself a what, what does she say? She says, felt like a fucking kid in the school choir looking for mom in the crowd. Fuck. Yeah. Which is a pretty like strong reaction. <laughs> I think it shows her nervousness. Uh, but then she sees her team and it's beautiful. This beautiful paragraph here where it says i saw my team my heroes and then she kind of goes through and describes each one of their costumes some of them have changed slightly she spends a lot of time talking about lookout's costume and how the mask is a little creepy and her coloring is closer to heartbroken than it was before and we're just laying a lot of uh laying a lot of interesting groundwork on what's going on with kenzie stuff here and and how much of this is is heartbroken influence and if that's good or not and uh that's going to be something the book addresses directly later but we're laying the groundwork for it here and just looking at what she's wearing yeah no that's a great point i mean she's she's definitely been a lot more teenagery uh i would say in these in (laughs) this uh, last few chapters yep um uh another thing i I noticed just like i don't remember what color precipice costume used to be but i didn't think it was white and silver with veins of gold that that's I don't that's not what my mental image was maybe I'm just bad at having mental images but but yeah uh, I mean I, I I agree with that I, I don't remember it because I am so bad at visualizing costumes and stuff but I, I th- when I read veins of gold my gut reaction was huh that's new yeah I don't know if that's true or not but it's a very it's a very hero uh look though I remember yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure it used to be darker you know but um, I think you're right yeah. I think you're right but of course, Victoria is so absorbed talking about her team, her heroes, uh, that she zones out. And we cut back to the information with Armstrong saying, Our symptoms of increased instability and loss of self as the agent gains more ground. Monitor yourself and your teammates, and when in doubt, report your concerns. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, basically this is the moment of the story where the character says, If you take anything away from this, this briefing at all, make it that right and then our character didn't didn't hear it yeah. at all like this feels like an important thing to have not heard yeah right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah mr simpson this is the panel you need to pay attention to if the plant yeah. begins to melt down this one yes. right here yeah yeah i got it yeah um uh yeah i'm sorry i was i was laughing because you're 
Your the, the script here says what Armstrong? What are the symptoms? I mean, yeah, like it feels like it feels like we should know that. I mean, not not just for Victoria specifically, but for everyone else. Like yeah. the good thing I guess we can say here is that Victoria's whole team heard this and maybe will recognize these symptoms in Victoria if this is truly what's happening, if her agent is gaining more ground on her. I'm still torn on that because it just seems like her shard out of any of them is the one that's much more comfortable being at at chill, like help out mode and not in take over and subsume you mode. But yeah. I don't know. Um, we won't know because we don't know what the symptoms are because Victoria wasn't fucking paying attention. Yeah, no, it wasn't important. It was more important to be stewing in her own uh, angst, uh, yeah, which exactly. is probably a symptom. Yeah, what if that yeah. what if missing this briefing, right. the most important part of the briefing is a symptom. Yeah. If you yeah. if you find yourself looking wistfully over your teammates, thinking about how much they've grown and they don't really need you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Um so at at this point, Vicky touches base with the malfunctions briefly. Yeah, and and we see that they're not doing that well, which is unsurprising. Like, I think we get reinforced just how much they loved Fumehood. Like, we had a pretty good idea by them choosing to stay with her as she's dying. But, like, they reinforce this with us. Is like, no, we she's cool as hell. She's like the coolest adult I knew type of thing. Like, they really, really liked liked her. Yeah, right. And, and they seem really just, you know, uh, about as shaken by the events that happened as any normal teenagers would be right yeah. like it's 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 awful they're in really bad shape yeah i love when carrie added goes breaker form like just very briefly yeah. just for like a few seconds and like now that we've gone through her interlude we know kind of exactly what that is right that is one of her ways of like disassociating from the way that she feels and her problems and we see her do it just briefly here yeah right just yeah it. disconnecting for a second yeah. yeah but but pulling herself back quickly too yeah, that, I mean, the most important part of that is, yes, she she pulls herself right back. Yeah, um, there is one thing that jumped out at me here, and, and I'm going to use this part to kind of talk about something that I saw throughout this entire chapter is um, this idea of physical contact. And I think you and I have talked about this before in the book, but it's coming around again. And I think it's worth focusing on. One of the things Victoria does when she sees the malfunctions is she wants to give them hugs because if they look like they need some hugs. But she's not sure about their own personal rules and she doesn't want to violate them in any way, um, which is respectful and nice. Um, but I realized this moment that 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 there is a continuing focus on physical touch throughout this chapter. And there's a bunch of little moments of it earlier in the book or earlier in this chapter. Victoria notes that Armstrong gets her attention by like doing like a head gesture to her um, and, and specifically notes that. Uh, he doesn't touch her as many others would have done. So the book is kind of drawing attention to the fact that he chooses to do that this way. And this could just be him knowing her background or just him paying attention to how the whole Eric situation went down and realizing that, Hey, don't touch her. Yeah, you <laughs> didn't bad. like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then we see in this moment that she wants to extend physical contact to the malfunctions, but is kind of uncertain about it. And then in a bit, when she gets back with her team, there's a lot of very specific physical contact. Like the first thing she does is give Sveta a big old hug. Uh, she also hugs Tristan. She's like reaching out and holding people's hands. Um, and all of this physical contact is Victoria extending support to others. Right. I hugged. I reached out. I clapped a hand on his armored shoulder. None of this is anyone else offering Victoria physical contact as support. 
Um, and in fact, I think Armstrong here is kind of proof that Victoria sometimes extends a don't fucking touch me aura uh, to people, uh, yeah. whether she means to or not. And it's interesting to me because like the idea of physical contact, she recognizes the importance of it in that because she's giving it to other people, right? Like she sees the malfunctions and say, these people need hugs. She sees her team. She gives them big old hugs. She claps them on the shoulder. She's supporting them. She's making physical contact with them. And, and so it's this, it's obviously something that she recognizes as something that could help people when they're suffering. Oh yeah. And she's not getting any of it herself and she's not asking for it, but she's also not getting it. And we'll see Sveta try in the next chapter. And we're going to talk about that a little bit when we get there. But it's just very, very interesting to me because Victoria is is basically spending all the rest of this chapter and the entirety of the next chapter taking stock of the group, taking stock of her team and their connections. But she's so absorbed by how they're doing and how they're getting along that she doesn't ever really take the time to think about herself and where she fits in this equation. Victoria gives hugs. She doesn't ever bother trying to get them. And yeah, uh, I'm nervous. Yeah, I think uh, I'll have more to say about this when we get to the next chapter because there, there's actually a couple of beats of Victoria as as caretaker never being taken care of. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get there pretty soon. So there is there is one part that jumped out at me that I wanted to talk about as well. When she does hug Sveta, she says, "I squeezed her, finding myself surprised that it wasn't a prosthetic I was holding." And when I first read this, like my immediate reaction was. I think I actually tweeted this. I was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Um, and then I thought about it more. And I mean, you kind of realize that it's been a very short amount of time since Sveta got her body. Mm-hmm. Um, it just hasn't been that long a time. And uh, just this idea that she's she's been with Sveta for so long in a certain way, and she still hasn't really even mentally readjusted to this idea of this is a person who doesn't have a prosthetic body. This is a person who has a, a body body. Mm-hmm. And I, I just like that little bit of detail. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, it, it just shows you where her head is, right? Like she's, right, she's right. so, um, not in the present moment that, that she would just be like, I mean, it's, it's not like she's shocked, right? It's not like, like it's a huge deal. It's just like a, a momentary, like, Oh, Oh, right. Th- this happened. I remember yeah, that now. Yeah. I totally yeah. forgot this whole big, big part of my journey and Sveta's journey that happened briefly yeah. because I'm so kind of like lost. Yeah. 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 It, it's really great. Yeah. So she rejoins her team and then she lays down some stricter rules for lookout since this is the first time that, that they've interacted since uh, since she got chewed out by Miss Militia. <laughs> Mainly these rules are in the hopes that the wardens won't feel a need to pile it on, I think. Like, yeah, she's basically hoping like, look, I'm going to be fairly strict here and then and then hopefully that'll be it. Tristan then adds an important addendum uh, that when when uh, when um, Kenzie runs things by the team, that the team not just be her evil villain friends. So good catch there, Tristan. I love the consistency with which Lookout operates. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this before. Kenzie does not lie to you, right? She will not look you in your face and tell you something that is untrue for the most part. Mm -hmm. But she is one of those people that you have to be very specific and explicit with. If you give a loophole, she will take the loophole, Mm -hmm. which is, I mean, it fits with her hacking personality, right? Like if she finds a back door, she will, she will use it. Um, and, and that's perfect here and <laughs> bless your heart, Tristan, that you're like immediately like sussed out the monkey's paw of this command. <laughs> it's just perfect. I love right. it. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's kind of good cause it, it shows us that he's actually paying attention to these details, right? Yeah. 
yeah. his head is in the game. I mean, sure. he, he may be in a really bad place, but he is, he is paying attention. So, yeah. And I mean, it, it is also for me kind of concerning about, about Kenzie because she like roll, like gets really annoyed by this. And like a, a bit later, we're going to see her like roll her eyes and be sarcastic about this new limitation. And it's just like, Kenzie, you're not getting like how close to really in trouble you are here. Like, mm-hmm. Like Victoria's staving off the warden's wrath jump jumping down on you. You need to be taking this more seriously. And maybe, I mean, maybe Victoria like sugarcoated how tr- how much trouble she was in a little bit too much. Or maybe it's just like this is just Kenzie. She's never going to take it seriously. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I really do think Kenzie hanging around with like Kenzie hanging around with these young kids her own age who are who are literally villains. <laughs> um it is is a bad influence on her like it's it's making her disregard this whole idea of of keeping things above board because she's just like well whatever even if the wardens reject me i'll I'll have my i'll, I'll just join the undersiders right like she yeah, never said yeah. that necessarily but like i feel like i feel like her head goes in that direction now you know it's interesting um, because i totally agree with you that they're a bad influence but i also totally agree with tristan who who makes the counter argument it's like yeah but they're also helping her in certain ways and it's like i think i think both are true right i don't think true. like i don't think a, a, a person a person's influence on your life is binary they are bad influences in certain ways and they're good for you in other ways well, and I mean, you just got to kind of weigh those just two influences i mean the undersiders were probably super bad influences on taylor Right. Yep. But but also they pulled her out of what was a, a really bad spot in her life where she was at. And yeah, then she lives happily ever after, as we all know. Totally. Absolutely. Um, there were no issues after she met the Undersiders. But um, <laughs> hey, if, if she's in Earth, A, um, isn't there a giant Dauntless there? Yeah, I think so. When she is in Earth, A. what do you mean if anyway? Um so somewhere they, somewhere Taylor is under uh, in her um, basement with a sledgehammer, like sledgehammering the floor and digging up her old costume, John Wick style. <laughs> oh, I just got a really vivid image of that. And now I have to write a fan fiction. Excuse me. Um, yeah. So after this, they head through the portal into the derelict fallen compound within sight range of Eve and uh, the Nemean Titan, I think. Was it the Nemean? I thought it was a. Uh, I thought it was. I might have just mistyped. It might have been Moose, um, Moose Prancer one. I think Oberon. It, I think it might have been Oberon. I think I might have just mistyped somehow. That's fine. I, I I really love that we've returned here though. The the site. This is like. Remember the ti- remember remember back in this book when the Fallen War was like the biggest event that was happening in the world. Remember <laughs> yeah, that? Right. That was quaint. Um, but it, it, this is like the, the, the site of one of the first real big conflicts of Ward and it's a return to a place that has a lot of bad memories for rain and, and Victoria describes this place as anachronistic and anatopistic, which like, there's like, there's a bunch of cabins and stone walls and like windy roads mixed in with school buses. There's, there's evidence of past battles and in the distance, new tents being put up by people. Uh, that clearly know how to put up tents because they're people that have just this has just been their life the entire time. The city is no more. And this is where people live now in the boonies like this is existence now on the edges with places that look like this weird mix of past and present with memories of past conflict right in front of you and future conflict uh, on the horizon in the form of these big titans. This is existence. This is what it is now. And I just I love I love this image. I really do. Yeah, um, I mean, once again, Wabo is masterful with his his use of setting to to 
evoke a certain feeling and yeah. and one of my favorite things that he does we've talked about it a bunch we've had discussion questions about it even is return to old settings uh to sh- usually those those settings will have changed in some way and the change in the setting is what helps create the feeling that that he's going for in the scene yeah um, and it also so, helps reflect the change in the characters yeah. exactly yeah right there's, there's there's a lot of he does a lot of stuff with it exactly so mm-hmm. uh, yeah I, I think i mean we could have gone anywhere right we could have just gone to some random field somewhere but we choose the fallen camp which is like you said it's it's a, a, a setting from earlier in the story mm-hmm. and it has certain connotations yeah so victoria notes that tristan seems extremely crushed and alienated and she talks to him about it and he vents to her a little bit and then he goes off to find a church i have a lot to say about this conversation um first of all we have to say on the surface what this is doing is like laying the tracks for this idea that tristan could go titan next time one of these disasters happens. And like we talked about earlier, I wonder if that is so transparently obvious that it's just misdirection, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. I've stopped, I've stopped making actual predictions at this point. Um, it could be, could not be, you know? Yeah. But the conversation itself is really powerful. And, and I like without being too hard on Victoria, I kind of feel like she fumbles this a little bit. Um, and, and I think it's because of something that you said when you and I were talking about this earlier today that I think there's a part of Victoria that just doesn't really get Tristan. Mm-hmm. And I think that becomes very evident in this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. Um, like she's, she's trying really hard, like, like no, she's not holding anything back here. She's really worried yeah. about him. She's really, she's really reaching out her hand to him. And it's just, the, it's just that the things that she's saying to try to cheer him up are things that would maybe cheer up Victoria to hear, right. but are, are not really things that are connecting to Tristan with what he's struggling with in this moment. I, I totally agree because the, the way she starts the conversation is you're doing a good job, Tristan. And his response is, I know there was no brag in his voice, but that's not all there is. Is there Tristan knows he's good at being a cape. Mm-hmm. He knows that, but he wants, he, that's not what he wants. He wants more than just that, which is, as you said, it's kind of a difficult thing for Victoria herself to understand because being a cape, being a hero has always been such a huge part of her life that she really didn't have much room for anything else. Like that, it's been that that's always just been that. And that is not Tristan. And he's talking about all these burned bridges. He's talking about like he he made this terrible choice and it burned all these bridges and he understands that it takes a long time for people to rebuild these bridges and the only one the only person that has actually rebuilt a bridge to him is his brother uh but his brother isn't here right now his brother when he, when Tristan is out his brother is unconscious so he's not there and Victoria offers that well no you definitely have bridges look like ev- look at to everyone a breakthrough look at the, your team your t- your team respects you and they love you look to that and she's right but that's not what Tristan wants, right? Like, like Tristan wants something beyond capedom yeah. and to Victoria breakthrough is a family away from her family. It is a family she chose. Uh, I don't know if that's, a, it's the same thing for Tristan. I don't know if he looks at these people who he loves and respects. I'm not saying he doesn't do that, but I don't think he looks at them in the same way that Victoria looks at them. I think he wants those bridges with with you know romantic relationships with with friendships with his mother and father i think those are things that he values and wants and needs and he doesn't have them and so this this idea of look to your friends look to your teammates those bridges are still there for you it's like yeah i i know 
I, just like I know I'm a good cape, but I don't that I that's not enough for me. Yeah. I feel like it's an ongoing source of pain that his mom won't talk to him, you know. Yeah. Like yeah. whereas Victoria doesn't really have um that particular kind of pain in her life. All of all of her pain is more of the variety of like all of like all of these people have have disappointed me, let me down and hurt me and few of them are even apologetic about it. Whereas Tristan is like, yeah, I I, I hurt these people and they haven't forgiven me and that really hurts. Yeah. And it and it continues to hurt and there's no like like as good he can be the best hero he can be and it will still hurt and i think yeah. i think that's the thing is it, I, I don't know this is more of a conjecture but like it's almost like having your mom be mad at you is more of a connection because at least you are at least you're sad that you're like at least you're sad about a relationship rather than being mad i, I don't know i'm, I'm I, yeah. it slipped away from me as i was trying to articulate it but um <laughs> I mean, I do think there's something really interesting around the amnesty here, though, because Tristan was forgiven for what he did because of the amnesty. Right. Mm-hmm. And that allowed him to be a cape still. Basically, it was legal forgiveness that allowed him to operate as a hero. Mm-hmm. Or was did was his the murder after Gold Morning? The quote no, unquote it was, murder. It was, it was bef- before. It right? was before. And then it was it was dropped anyway because it was. Well, no, it wasn't drop i don't remember actually but yeah it was it was before then i I think the amnesty did just kind of wash the slate clean yeah so So, i mean it's this really interesting thing where it is it is legal operational forgiveness in order to get to go out and put on your costume and be a hero and that's great but what tristan is saying here is that's meaningless to him or not mean not meaningless but it compared to what he needs it's meaningless because he needs he needs the amnesty or the forgiveness from the the people in his life that he cares about and those people are understandably having a very tough time extending it to him and he's getting to a point where uh he's feeling uh everything you would feel if you're about to turn into a titan he's yeah. feeling alone he's feeling disconnected from those people and it's not good yeah yeah don't have much to add there um other than i i agree with you that um she 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 tries her best here, but I don't know that her her little pep talk does any good. Um, so yeah. yeah, I mean, like the way it ends is like he she like gives her big like speech about her your team, and he sighs and says, <laughs> "I'm gonna go find a church." <laughs> yeah. So like it's not not a lot of confidence. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah. So Victoria then joins our Greater Heartbreak Ciders group, plus the malfunctions and Death Chester. I'm not gonna try to cram all those words together. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, she makes a few remarks, but she's mainly passively observing the banter that happens in this scene. She's observing the connections that have formed between between and within these groups. Um, eventually, she makes the rounds, kind of, like literally moving around and, and checking on everyone. I think that the main standout here in terms of my personal enjoyment uh, is the interactions between new best friends, Imp and Damsel. Yeah, I, and I don't have anything like analytical to say about that, except it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Like th- th- talking about Latin, <laughs> it's yeah. just really great. And and I think you're right that the next chapter delves more into the specifics of the connections that link this disparate group together. But for now, it, we are really enjoying just them kind of playing off each other in fun ways. Like Imp and Danzel together are hilarious. The malfunctions reaction to the horror that is the heartbroken is perfect because like I think 
once again, we say this a lot with the heartbroken, but we are so used to the way they are <laughs> that it is sometimes fun to bring in new characters that are just like, why would you say that? Yeah, like right. just this exasperated, like we're like, oh, because it's the heartbroken. Right. But these, let's just, remind ourselves. Yeah. These innocent normal kids. Just like, what is your problem? Yeah. I think you're right though that the the, the heartbreaking uh pun not intended moment of this is that Victoria doesn't really join in. I mean, she, you're right that she does chat for a bit and but it's her chatting is mostly about uh planning for what's gonna come next. She doesn't really engage in small talk very much except for a couple things. And Sveta invites her to sit around the fire and join in, but she declines and ends up flying away and flying into isolation and and loneliness. And, and and it's interesting because while she's away from the fire, she acknowledges the strength in it. She acknowledges the strength in that community around the fire. She said she's thinking about all the things she's going through. And it says it made me feel sad to even think about it. And that sadness reminded me of the fire and how it hadn't been sad, uncomfortable in places. Yes, but not sad. And so it's like this, this acknowledgement that there around that fire is warmth, literally and, and metaphorically and strength. But she's removed herself from it right now. Yeah. This is one of those cases where when you're when you're rereading, especially you see like, like you imagine the situation from the third person and you see Sveta in your imagination just staring at Victoria with extremely worried eyes and saying, why don't you come sit with us? And Victoria flies away. And then next time Victoria comes back, she like physically drapes herself over Victoria to be like, calm down and stay here for a right. minute and, yeah. and like like sveta is clearly just very worried about about victoria here and i don't even think victoria is aware that sveta feels that way but but i think i think that comes across when you're uh, especially when you're rereading and kind of paying attention to things that way yeah i mean in the next chapter victoria will make specific note of the people who choose not to engage in the conversation around the fire and walk off on their own mm-hmm. and that is literally what she just did yeah um so yeah um, yeah, so the chapter then ends with Victoria clarifying for us uh, that when she asked for guns, she was asking for big guns, <laughs> big, big, the biggest guns possible. Yeah. Uh, holy shit. I'm both excited and terrified about this prospect. I'm not quite sure where the logic is. Like, I guess I might as well do whatever I can. But like, I don't know if powers are going to work on these things. But perhaps guns will. (laughs) I mean, for me, it made a lot of sense because I was like, well, okay." the only reason they didn't use like, you know, C-130 gunships on the Inbringers was that every time they tried something like that, it would result in a far worse outcome. Um, Now they have no excuse not to because like there's just no reason not to pull out all the stops. Yeah. And we we have some pretty amazing military weapons. uh, (laughs) So so why not employ those if you're going to have to fight these things? That's true. That's true. And I love that she acknowledges the betrayal she feels right. Like she she uses those those specified italicized thoughts to literally talk to herself. You hate guns, Victoria. You hate what they represent. Symbols of the breach in the compact between capes and civilians. She knows this. She knows that 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 that. I mean, we've talked about this slow shift over the course of this book about going from hating guns. Um, I think she says, like, I think at the very beginning, there's a whole speech about, like, the weight of the pack and, like, the gun and, like, mm-hmm. like the emphasis on defense. Um, and it's just totally shifted over the course of this book to now where she's like, yes, Matrix yeah, me. Right. Um, yeah. Two tons of gun, please. Yeah. Yeah. And yet she's going to do it anyway because it feels necessary. And I love uh, the end of this chapter emphasizes, like these thoughts that she's having and, and 
the the isolating coldness of these thoughts, right? Like it, it, as she ruminates on this, she's alone up in the air. Her breath is fogging as she says it. When she lands on the ground, it's the frozen ground. She returns to this warm fire um, the, from being isolated. And as she returns to the warmth of the fire, to the warmth of community, those cold thoughts, those th- those thoughts associated with the cold follow her. I made my way back to the fire where I tried to make my peace with them, them being those thoughts, those inherent contradictions. This, this idea that that to make progress, I constantly have to betray uh, the part of myself that I wanted to. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just kind of sad, um, which is also now that I think of it, that that having to betray the things that are most important to you to feel like you're making progress is a specific echoing of the way Fumehood felt right before she turned into a giant Titan. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly right. Get, gotta, gotta kill all these people to save these kids that I like. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's what pushed it over for her. Yep. Good point. That's horrible. Um, yeah. I mean, let's move on to the next chapter because we pretty much just segue smoothly into it story wise. So 18.3, and we resume with the team using Kenzie's map to try to plan the coming battle, trying to plan uh, while Tattletail is being ridiculous. I mean, I really I really am into super grumpy Tattletail, though. Yeah. And I wonder, like, part of me wonders, like, what her power is telling her about their chances here. Like this, this conflict is unique in the series so far. Every bad guy they've gone up against, they found a way to beat them and then they won. This is something new because there are multiple questions here. What if they can't beat these things? Mm-hmm. That's a question. The other question is, what if they beat them? Then what? Because like with when the problem was Scion, you beat Scion and you win. The problem is these Titans. Let's say they successfully kill every single Titan. You didn't solve the underlying problem. You just defeated the, the most present representation of that problem. Like you're treating the symptom, mm-hmm. not the not the cause. Um, and so like there's got to be a feeling of hopelessness to this. And I, I think that is reflected in Super Grumpy Tattletale. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's a good point, right? Like there's the, the, everybody's got a shard. Everybody has a capacity to go Titan, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like there's no. Uh, uh, yeah, definitely. I, I think I think you're onto something there. I think I think that I mean, I think part of her grumpiness is is like good natured grumpiness. But I yeah, think she's yeah. also like this is kind of how she deals when she's anxious at the same time. So, yeah, um, yeah, um, there's it, it's it's also just extremely entertaining, of course, like like everything of everything about the the group around the fire is just is just some of the best like humor and and enjoyable banter in this book so far, in my opinion. A hundred percent. And I I. I, I love I love it. And I love like I would be super grumpy, too, if someone ranked rain higher than me like that. <laughs> I would. Yeah, I would, too. So yeah, yeah. I, I get it. I, yeah. I get it. Tattletale. Fair, fair. So as this conversation is happening, Jibbit is using her power to make an army of snowmen. And I like this a lot because it's a fun and kind of like background flavor moment. But it's also subtly teaching us that Jibbit's power can be used on seemingly anything, not just the gibbet that she carries around. <laughs> yeah. So. And also uh frozen two just came out. So do you want to build some snowmen? I'm sure that so, was intentional, Scott. <laughs> uh, it was wild bow has his pulse on the culture. Uh, I mean, wouldn't that be what you would use your power for if you had the power to duplicate stuff? 
Just oh lots, my God, of, I lots would, of snowmen. I would duplicate so many things. It'd be ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the, the delightful inter-team banter in these chapters is just fantastic. Walbo is going for these feelings of camaraderie and familiarity here, and he's just nailing it. These people are so great together. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that everyone is going to be completely fine. Um, <laughs> also, Victoria notes that the people who stay around the fire form their own little cliques. Uh, and she details all the little nuances of who is interacting with who. Uh, while there are, of course, a handful of people who leave the fire not feeling like they fit in. Uh, mostly those being the Deathchester members. Yeah, I mean, I, I first of all, I completely agree with you about how delightful this is. I I was really tempted in prepping for this podcast to just like pull out a bunch of sections and just say, absolutely wonderful, I love it. But that doesn't seem like a valuable use of time. So I'll just say, for all of this, absolutely wonderful, I love it. Yeah. The, the best part about it is, is it's not just a fun distraction, which it absolutely is. But Victoria is, amidst all this fun distraction, assessing the group. Last chapter, they observed the lines drawn linking together the Titans. Here, we're seeing Victoria draw those lines and observe them that are linking the people. Because these connections matter now. And, I mean, they've always mattered thematically, right? This book has always been about community and the power of connection. Um, but the book has taken that central idea of society, of community, of reaching out, of bonding, and in the best of genre fiction tr tradition, making it literal. Now, now these connections literally matter. Who has connections around the fire and who doesn't is a question that will indeed matter literally for the, the, the fight that is to come. And so it get, it gets to play double duty. It gets to be just a fun scene, but also we're doing important things behind it. Uh, excuse me, I have to get my cork board and my and my yarn and my pins <laughs> and map out the where everyone is sitting and who is talking to who and then try to map that onto which uh, Titans have linked with which other Titans and see if the maps match. That um, would be an interesting experiment. Yeah. Uh, someone should do that. Someone should do that. Uh, no, I mean, that that's exactly right. Like you said, uh, the... I mean, I think I think it does go pretty deep there, too, because we've got, you know, we've got heroes here. We've got villains here. We've got I guess we've got two two hero teams, three villain teams, roughly speaking. Right. But they're all yeah. they're all sitting together. There are clearly interactions across these lines that are friendly. Sometimes they're overtly friendly. Sometimes they're kind of friendly ribbing. But but every, everybody's getting along. Um, and because they have a common goal here, right? They have the common goal of survival, which is exactly what you could say is going on with the shards on the other side. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. So, so here the book is really kind of uh, emphasizing how many characters are in this big alliance and how they've all come to know and in many cases like each other. I mean, who, who doesn't get lines here? Even relatively taciturn and minor characters like Perry and Rachel and Cass get to say their piece at this, at this fire. Yeah, you're right. Ab absolutely everybody. And it's it's one of those moments and we talked about these moments before, but it's one of those moments where you're just so comfortable in it because the characterization of each and every individual character has been so good leading up to this moment that you just know exactly who these people are and exactly what they want. Imp is talking about her ass freezing in French. Damsel is thrilled by it. Rain is remembering his tough times and Lisa is being snarky about that. Perrion's talking about fashion. Cass is trying to get a gift for chastity. Sidepiece is literally showing her over 
ovaries and foil and finale are very uncomfortable with it. It is 1.5 million words of character building all combining together into this one scene. Wild Bill trusts that we remember most of it, uh, reminds us of what he thinks we might have forgotten and allows everything to play out exactly like what we would imagine it would if we put all these characters together. Like we said earlier, this could be the last everyone together downtime moment of the story. And it is everything that that kind of moment needs to be it is it is serving function it is generating emotion it is reminding us of characters it is just a a joy to read yeah right yeah i mean like you said we could have just like quoted the entire thing and just been like i love this this is also hilarious yes um but yeah um i mean i wish i could quote specifically the the entire portion between damsel supplying the word impertinent to imp and then just being so crushingly just crushingly disappointed when imp says can't blow your wad too soon (laughs) can't blow your wad you were doing so well i just love that so much i mean it's just so clever right like like as soon as the book puts damsel and imp together you're like, of course, like, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't I think of that sooner? It just it it makes perfect sense in exactly the way it plays out where she would like be very impressed with her. But then imps, natural impiness would kind of <laughs> leak out and she would just be like, Ugh, yeah, Jesus. right. It's, yeah, it's yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. You were so close. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and we even get to see withdrawal, um, the natural caretaker distract lookout from her complaining with some tinker talk mm-hmm. uh, while just trying to slip by us the two low-key strongest tinkers in the setting having a little sit down yeah that's certainly going to pay off in some kind of way in the future uh, definitely yeah. but i i do agree that it shows the strength of withdrawal he is part of the tripod that is the major malfunctions this kind of self-supporting insular group but that doesn't mean they can't support other people as well um and and we see it in this moment that he's not only aware of something with her, but he's going to do something about it. Yeah. Got to say though, not happy with Kenzie's eye rolling reactions here. Like she's like, this is what we were talking about earlier where she's like, is it okay if I get his number Victoria? Right. Very and teenagery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I mean, you can just see that she's doing this to like show off in front of her friends, the way teenagers right. do right. like, yeah. like turn into a, a, basically this, this kind of this kind of behavior when mom is around and then sure. and then when the friends are not there then you're just you know normal yeah um, yeah uh, yeah so so having circled the fire victoria sits and gets draped in a comfortable sweater coat which uh she describes as quote simultaneously comfortable and uncomfortably reminiscent of my time in the hospital the best of the bad days so, yeah <laughs> yeah we're, we're going back to that moment we were talking about earlier or that the idea we were talking about earlier about physical contact nobody's offers her physical contact sveta has sort sort of conspicuously if you're paying attention been worried about victoria and now she like literally offers just kind of like drapes herself over her in like a full body hug um but even this is not it's kind of a wash right it's not it's not comfortable really you describe this as basically neutral yeah. on, on comfort score, right? Yeah, because yeah. there is there is part of her that appreciates the physical contact, but then part of her is reminded of uh, time in the hospital. So yeah. net net comfort zero. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think you're right. And I think that's important that like even even this attempt by Sveta and I think we'll see that this this physical attempt by Sveta along with the conversational attempt by Sveta doesn't really work. 
Right. Let's, I mean, that's exactly what, what, so, you know, she and Sveta now head off to have a talk. And I think, I think it's safe to say that in Sveta's mind, the point of this talk is for Sveta to try to help Victoria. And, yeah. and that's not really what happens. I mean, okay. So, uh, Sveta points out that, um, Victoria, she seems like she's doing better than Tristan seems. Mm-hmm. Um, but she knows better than to trust how Vicky seems. Uh, she 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 thinks that Victoria has seemed different since they visited the Shard World. Uh, Victoria, though, turns the conversation back on Sveta, clearly prompting Sveta to talk about the uh, conclusive discovery that she's trans and not really wanting to talk about herself. Yeah, and and we'll talk all about that second half of the conversation in a minute because it's I, I love it so much. But I think you're absolutely right here that that in Sveta's mind, the beginning of this thing was all was let's deal with with what's going on with Victoria. Um, and, and it's really interesting because like on the surface, Victoria is just like, like, I'm cool. Like I'm good. Mm -hmm. And and like the way she answers these questions are in, in a very textual read, like I'm doing fine. Like the two things she says, we see Victoria's answer to the questions are very specific to very specific worries, but not like a broad understanding of, of how are you doing? Right. Because, Sveta shows that she's nervous and Armstrong is nervous about Victoria related to the the potential of going Titan. And Victoria basically says, like, as long as an ability to resist this exists, I'm going to do it if there's still a member of Breakthrough that needs protecting. As long as there is a member of this team that needs protecting, I am not going to go Titan. Oh. Um, and (laughs) And then the thing number two that she says is, I'm me. So Sveta talks about how since we've been to the Shard world, you haven't you've seemed a little different and her response is i'm me and that's one of those answers that's like i mean yeah like every version that was in there was you like the question is not are you you the question is have you changed from the person you were before you went in there yeah should we be worried do we need to talk about something and it's so like both of these things are technically true, right? Like I believe Victoria when she says both these things, I'm not calling her a liar, but they're true in like the Kenzie kind of way where like they're just very narrow and specific without dealing with the the overall all encompassing. How are you? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm me is almost rudely dismissive. It, it's it's a it's a shutting down of a conversational mm-hmm. thread instead of instead of like, look, this is what happened. I kind of thought maybe that I tapped into like an older facet of who I am, but I'm I'm still you know like like th- this and this and this is the same. Maybe I feel a little bit different in this way. Like it's not it's not like she hasn't thought about this. She's she just doesn't want to talk about it. She wants mm-hmm. to talk about Sveta's stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the first you know the first thing about about wanting to resist being a a Titan as long as there's a single surviving member of Breakthrough is just the most foreboding possible thing you could say. Right. Um, it's also like if that's your bar for doing okay is I probably won't turn into a giant death machine as long as there's still someone on my team. Yeah. It's like, cool. Well, certainly. I mean, right. Like like that's, that's bad. Like if, 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 if if somebody's like, how are you doing? And and, and you're like, well, you know, I'm, I, uh, I have a lot of friends and I'm able to, to help them and support them. You're like, Oh my God, that's, I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Like that. I'm, I'm very worried about you. Yeah. Right. You need to have something, you know, what are you what are you doing yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah um yeah so they, they then they fly a bit they fly away from the the fire and they settle in the top of a tree they see eve forebodingly making spikes uh, javelins out of, out of gas 
Yeah, because people keep pestering her and she's just trying to do good networky thingies. Yeah. Yeah. Just leave me alone and breaking my walls and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Sveta begins sharing some fascinatingly complex feelings. So the discovery that she's trans plays into things in this really fascinating way because it turns out that it's more about the revelation that she was unhappy in her old life and that she already hated her body. And this this has really done a number on her feelings because yeah. she always hated Cauldron for, number one, destroying her body, number two, taking her away from a presumably happy life, and a few other things, of course. But those are those are main ones. And now she realizes that she might have Cauldron to thank for where she is now, for where she finds herself. She says, I hated Cauldron, and I still do, but I'm grateful at the same time. And whichever emotion I feel, I feel like I'm betraying the other. This is like one of the single most complex character moments in this book, I think. Mm-hmm. And I love it to death. Like yeah. it, it takes the idea that Sveta is trans, this, this wonderful reveal about this character, and it takes it to just this, this, of course, like finding that out is going to mean this, is going to mean this, this, this confusion and uncertainty. She, you're absolutely right. She created this central idyllic idea that her life before Cauldron came and messed it up was perfect. She was happy. She was herself. She had her body and she's learned that that was false. And of course, like obviously whenever you create an idyllic existence, like it's going to be false, like regardless of whether she was trans or not, that would be false. But that just, but that part of her, um, makes it like almost literal. It brings, it brings the idea to the forefront. Um, and I I just love it. It's just this, this really complex, like I, I sit here and I'm like, Oh yeah. Like if if someone was ex- like talking to me about how they felt about this, I would be like, yeah, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I, 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 the only thing I could say is like, I think it's okay to feel both of those ways. I think it's okay to feel confused and uncertain and not sure of what you feel in any given moment. I think that's fine in a situation like this. Cause I don't fucking know what you should do. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, I think I think that anytime you learn some new information that recontextualizes the basis for really strong feelings, it creates this kind of shock to your whole system as you're like, yeah. well, I had this really, this really solid narrative that I was using to kind of navigate my life by. And now that's all completely upside down. And that's just very disorienting and, and kind of upsetting for people like like the way yeah. we the way we live our lives. We, we create narratives and Sveta's narrative has just been pretty much nuked and. You know, the the fact that she's trans is, is at, at least the way she's telling it here, almost secondary to all this, all this other stuff that she's figuring out about um, blame and, and guilt and, and uh, uh, where she belongs now. And this, this club of, of the K-53s that she felt like she was part of. And now she doesn't know if she qualifies anymore and all that stuff. Yeah, it's, um, it's a whole, it's a whole complicated mess of yeah. of uncertainty and, and feelings. I love, I love this line. Like she's talking about, like she had, the, I kind of didn't realize that all I was inside my body, inside my head, inside in my identity, it was more demons. Um, I, that's a powerful, it's a powerful thing for her to say. And I love Victoria's response to this is, can you befriend your demons? I asked tame it them. And that's such a Victoria thing to do. Right. Because I mean, that that's literally, literally what Victoria has done is taken her, 
her her worst her most confusing or worst parts of herself or or memories of some of the worst moments of her life and the worst realizations and tamed to them um, yeah yeah i mean i i i feel i feel you know this this is this is awesome i mean one thing is remember when we when when she was going through with um the procedure with mr bow we were basically like look this is great i hope it turns out well for her um but i i don't think it'll fix everything that she thinks it'll fix like yeah like she'll still have these these feelings these complex feelings of guilt and betrayal regarding the uh the irregulars um so so this this has just kind of brought all of that to the forefront i think and made it clear that like like you can't you can't really like i mean she says it explicitly here like it's you can't blame it all on the body it's it's in it's in your head it's your identity yeah (laughs) um yeah so that's great um but so so in response to all this victoria says i think it's okay to hate fuck them say it with me (laughs) i i really like this and it echoes some of the beats we've seen from victoria early earlier in the book recognizing that hate is this necessary feeling and a powerful tool sometimes i immediately was brought back to a moment where we talked about victoria channeling her hate into a survival mechanism after being super burned back in the dream room right and i thought what you said about how she uses her hate in that moment was absolutely beautiful and uh, i think some of our listeners have echoed that same sentiment and i think we're seeing victoria present that idea that thing she learned here to sveta as well um and sveta is 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 this person that i think you know with some exceptions spends a lot of her time she's a type of person that wants people to like her i think mm-hmm. um like even even the i think the like the irregulars that did this horrible thing and shunned her, like she is most upset that they hate her. Um, and so like this idea of, Hey, maybe you should like be pissed off at some of these people, um, is, is really, really powerful. Yeah. I mean, within this very conversation, it's pointed out that she always apologizes for everything, which, which is really one of those like people please your traits where it's like, it's like, you don't need, you, you don't need to do that. Um, and, um, I mean, it kind of like, like it kind of hit me when she, she does start, you know, going through the litany of, yeah, yeah, actually, fuck them, especially when she gets to fuck them for killing my sister, because, man, like, Nyet was a hero. We loved her. They killed her with a bad vial. That sucks. Yeah, remember how much we talked up, talked her up as this, like, amazing <laughs> natural hero, thinking we were talking about how fucking great Sveta is? Yeah. Uh, well, Sveta's still fucking great, but that, so is this person. Yeah, yeah. This, this person, like, I, I, yeah, it, I didn't even, like, it didn't even occur to me until we read this part that 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 was true, that this person, we this, this like, oh, she's like this natural hero. And look at that. It's just ingrained inside her. And it's like, no, that was someone else that didn't make it. Uh, yeah, right. And that person has died. Cauldron killed her. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite thought in this whole thing, though, is when she says fuck Weld. I, I found this really satisfying because yeah. Weld did Sveta dirty, right? Like the, he hurt her. And and even after the breakup. We've seen this optimist, people pleaser, apology prone Sveta like try really hard to he's paint still my over favorite the action. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like yeah, that 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 beat we've seen multiple times of he's still really cool. He's still my favorite person. I still love him. And look, sometimes anger is appropriate. And when a dude breaks your heart like Weld did, it's it's okay to get to a place where you get mad at him fuck weld like right. fuck him like he hurt you yeah. you should be angry at him for doing that I, I think just part of the like grieving process is you you go through the period of fuck that person and then yeah 
and then a while later you're able to be like you know there was blame on both sides but but you don't need to you can be human <laughs> first right right and I, um, and I think that's i think that's what victoria kind of smartly frames this as is like it's not that you should like live in hatred and anger but in regulated ways in closely monitored and regulated ways that you don't find yourself getting sucked up into it it's okay to feel that way and that's what she's that's that's the central argument what yeah. you're saying it's okay to not apologize and to say no you apologize you fucker yeah right yeah and and you know basically vicky's validating all of her all of her feelings here that she doesn't think that she should be feeling because she thinks that she should just forgive everyone and, and be nice and yeah and he's like no no fuck them um, and and and, and yeah. all that all this to say is that as much as i think victoria kind of fumbled the tristan conversation she's she's killing it here yeah like she's especially the the moment we're about to get into like i think this is beautiful and effective and and kind uh i i love her here yeah so vicky gives sveta this very poignant and beautiful friend to friend talk about who sveta is about the identity that she can claim when she's in this uncertain place and man i'm just really glad nothing bad is going to happen to any of these characters nothing nothing yeah it's um, happily ever after yeah um I, I love the the names she she picks out to kind of name the facets of Sveta, mosaic, painter, just a car, caretaker. Um, and this is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Um, it, it's this thing that Victoria's always done to herself, of course, of breaking herself into pieces. And, and um, Sveta responds, and what do I do with all these pieces of myself after I've broken, broken apart the mirror and divided my personality out among the shards so each one shows a different me? And then I read this sentence and uh, my brain blew apart all over the room that I was in and I had, it was, it was, it was hell to clean up. But anyway, um, I had never considered the shards as being, you know, shards of something, of something that was once whole and is now broken and alienated from itself and desperately wants to be whole again and doesn't actually know how to do that. Yeah, I, I am... I am equally upset with myself that it never occurred to me until 1.6 million words into this book <laughs> that the way Victoria divides her, her various personalities into different aspects, different facets yeah. uh, different and charts. labels and labels them is literally exactly what the entities do when they disperse shards. Yeah. Um, and they are different facets of a whole that I don't, know how it took me till the book literally saying it's like shards <laughs> for me to figure this yeah, out victoria victoria is gonna be like yes it's almost like i have a thinker and a warrior aspect <laughs> i mean we i mean i almost feel like we we sort of glancingly touched on this way way earlier in the story but it's it's become such a more rich metaphor now that it's like okay yes yes it's i get it yes yeah i mean even the name she gives them are like similar sounding kind of to the ones that Valkyrie told us mm -hmm. were the names of the shards, right? Like Justicar, Wretch, Scholar, like these, yeah. these names of the facets of herself. It's right there. And like, I feel like I had the two puzzle pieces and they were just like right next to it. You just had to pivot one just a little bit. And then the book like, like grabbed the piece and put it in place for me. Cause it's like, Jesus Scott, and just <laughs> put it in place. Uh, it, it's, I love it. Like it's, it is beautiful. This, this central idea of like, she basically tells her 
Like you are Sveta and you are made up of all these things. And, and it ties back into what I think she was talking to Tattletale about how you have to look at this holistically, right? Like it, it, it can't, you can't break down shard versus person just like you can't really break down uh justicar versus uh the versus painter it is definitely it is definitely a um a a facet of you an individual facet of you but they all add up like i think doesn't she say something to the effect of like all these shards are part of your mirror and your mirror is not broken it mm-hmm. is still whole um you are still you are sveta and sveta is all these different things and yeah, it's it's perfect. It's perfect. I love it so much. Yeah, um, I mean, all, all all sorts of implications to what the shards are trying to do now, right? They've right. They've lost their hubs. They've lost what you could call their like organizing principle, but they're still trying to rejoin to continue their life cycle, which is yeah. literally reassembling into one or actually two organisms, two two mega organisms, two you know holistic creatures like what a what a person is to their facets yeah and yeah it's uh it's pretty it's pretty cool stuff i like it it, it is yeah, yeah it's just wonderful it's really good it's yeah. really good um and yeah i think you're right that that the implication for this going into the future is is really fascinating and and i'm so glad that the book made us figure this out at this point because now we can think about this as we're thinking about what does the ending look like what is winning what is success in this regard because Sveta might be a full mirror filled with shards of her personality, but the entities that mirrored is definitely cracked. That's the whole problem. Yeah. And and how can we is the solution to help super glue them back together? Is there a way to super glue them back together without killing all of us? Uh, that is the question. All, all of the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. So mm-hmm. I don't know, but we'll yeah. see. Right. Maybe there's another freaking. Um, um, through the looking glass referenced for you, Matt. Yep, exactly. Exactly. I did do it through <laughs> the looking glass. Like, oh, speaking of looking glasses, I mean, it's a mirror, right? It's a shattered sure. mirror. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I, I tried to find more connections recently and I, I couldn't find any, any really fresh ones. Um, but yeah. So yeah, the team eventually, as they wrap up their conversation, comes and joins them uh, using Gibbet's power once again to boost them all up into the treetops. Tristan joins them last, coming on foot, warning everyone to beware of the cracks. Again, his head is is in the game. He's he's actually thinking about these these tactical oriented things. And mm-hmm. as as they come together, they get a warning that Eve is trying to connect with Oberon, uh, that is Prancer and Moose, and they're ordered to stop it from happening. Yeah, um, so this is some anime shit. <laughs> 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 and I'm not saying that in a way that I don't like it, but it's literally like a bunch of superheroes standing on like 30 foot tall logs yeah, like, in, in hero poses, except yeah. for except for chicken who is holding on with a sweat drop on his forehead. <laughs> right. <laughs> Cloaks billowing in the wind as they look at the giant smoke monster yeah. in the distance. And like the episode ending, like music sting happens. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I do like j- joking aside. I think this is really just this culminating moment of the end of the calm before the storm i think it's really beautiful that like they're they're literally like hoisted up into the air looking at at what they're about to have to face um each on their own pillar kind of Mm -hmm. but presumably some are holding each other up at least um i I think it's just this really powerful fitting image and i really like it Um, yeah it's beautiful and that wraps it up yeah so yeah let's do that name game that you're talking about 
sure let's talk about some greek mythology not just greek mythology but some greek mythology various mythologies so oberon is, which is moose and prancer is apparently a character in shakespeare's midsummer night's dream king of the fairies and spouse to titania um, in the play the two of them fight back and forth yeah titania falls in love with a donkey i think it is because of a love spell it's been a while since i read midsummer night's dream but i i loved the wordplay of like oberon being a titan to yeah. titania um that's funny i'm not uh, besides i guess the 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 nature aspect of it uh of the the like fairy forest type of nature i'm not sure where that one specifically came from but i liked it yeah it's a sort of fey creature yeah, yeah okay yeah sure yeah next up we have victor who is uh the nemean titan and of course uh, the the most well-known mythological thing with the nemean name is the nemean lion uh who was the lion that hercules had to defeat as the first of his 12 labors uh he had a a completely invulnerable coat and super strong claws and Herc uh, choked it to death and then wore it as skin. And I, I guess this is because um, this Titan has like a golden mane basically. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, Arachne. There is, there is this fun, we haven't talked about it on the show, I think, but there's this fun 12 labors of Antares theory that's I've seen floating around um, that like a lot of events in the story match one of hercules's 12 labors and uh it's an interesting theory and i love that how this kind of winks at it a little bit yeah there's definitely some lion connections between victoria um or lion connections with victoria so yeah, yeah. I, I i've i've seen i've seen bits and pieces of, of stuff that i i thought I, I i liked a bit um not sure if i like see the totality of the theory or like what its implications are but yeah it's a fun little fun little thing mm-hmm. uh, arachne who is hunter Arachne was a very skilled weaver who challenged Athena to a weaving contest, won, and then got turned into a spider because that's how the gods roll. Um, <laughs> yeah. How dare you beat me in a weaving contest? You have to be a spider now. Right. Just don't ever. Just If you're interacting with the gods, you've already lost. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. I, I That story is really fun because like the things that each of them were weaving is very specific. Like Athena is weaving a, a four piece story about what happens to people when they think they're as good as the gods. Uh-huh. And, and Arachne is weaving um, uh, like a three piece story about like how shitty the gods are to humans. <laughs> it's like just Greek mythology. Is so fun sometimes. Yeah, that's yeah, great. Next up we have Scotty uh, who is Axe head. Uh, this is one I don't know a lot about cause I don't know a lot of Norse mythology. Um, so I had to look this up and, this is mostly just Wikipedia, uh, sometimes called the snowshoe goddess, but but regardless is known for winter hunting and skiing. Uh, okay. I don't know what that has to do with a- to axe axe lady. Uh, yeah, neither do I. I'm sure I'm, I'm sure there's some there. Maybe we'll find out. Maybe we'll find out. And then finally, Ophion, Mr. Bow, Ophion was the only one of these titans besides Kronos to be named after an actual titan. Ophion, in fact, is one of the elder titans that ruled the world before being defeated and cast down by Cronus. Uh, we know very little about this guy, but one modern interpretation makes him a snake. Yeah. Sounds familiar. Ophion is a very, like, like obscure but, like, powerful god. In, mm-hmm. in and, and the thing about Cronus, I realized this when I was pulling information about Cronus, because we don't know. So there's two, there's a Cronus and a Cronos. And those are two different people in the Greek pantheon. Um, 
the way that Kronos is spelled in Parahumans is K R O N O S, uh, which is the one that uh, applies to Kronos, which is the Titan that was uh, killed or bet- his son Zeus overthrew him, and that's how the Greek gods uh, got in charge and defeated the Titans. But um, there's also the Kronos, like the god of time one and i'm not sure which one it's supposed to refer to for our dauntless titan but there's that yeah i'm I'm just gonna guess that there, that that uh it's the it's the father titan um the mm-hmm. the, the leader the lead actually apparently uh, i was i was mistaken Cronus is the leader and the youngest of the first generation of titans who are the descendants of uranus and gaia mm-hmm mm. I I forgot that Uranus was father of the Titans. I used to know. I, I when I was a kid, I used to really think Greek mythology was cool. Apparently, I've forgotten everything I ever knew, though. The problem with it is it sometimes contradicts itself, especially when you get like further and further back, where you start dealing with the like like Ophion is like one of the OG, maybe helped create the world gods. Uh-huh. So it's like it gets very confusing, and and we don't have a lot of sources on a lot yeah. of stuff. But uh, yeah, I feel like the Titans are like the prequels and soft reboots of Greek mythology, where people like <laughs> they kind of ran out of stories they could tell about the main cast, and they were like, "All right, we gotta, all right, we told too many stories about Zeus. Um, all right, let's talk about the Titans tonight, and then mm-hmm. they just make shit up." Remember and it's the, the same Titans. stories. Yeah, remember, remember the Titans. Uh, <laughs> all right, the discussion question this week was. Favorite jerkbag parahumans character? Um, delightful answers this week. Yeah, this was a fun question. Good job, Matt. Uh, and we got some fun answers. Let me just reiterate before we go into these answers. Uh, these are not the opinions of, of Matt and I. So don't yell at us. Don't yell at us for the ones that say Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Dancing Anatolia says Chris is a wholly distilled Sylvester, Sylvester being the protagonist of Twig, with all the presumed sensitive facets buried deep inside. Well, yeah, Chris is a perfect answer to this because, like, you kind of hate him, but also you really want to see more of him and you want him to redeem himself. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Man, you just making me want to read Twig. I mean, I hope so, yes. Uh, Roundest Frog says, side piece, she fucking sucks, but my God, is she fun. Like, I don't think we spend enough time on the fact that she like literally was around the campfire surrounded by children, like literally showing her ovaries to her boyfriend. Yeah. Um, pretty funny. Oh, yeah. side piece. It's funny. Cause she, she kind of sucked and then she was really mean to Victoria that one time. And then she crossed the line into really sucking. Mm-hmm. So. True. And now she's here hanging out with everyone. Yeah. Right. Um, Sarah Penguin says chastity who comes off pretty poorly at first due to how she treats rain. But eventually this is recontextualized as being a behavior stemming from her own desperation and trauma. Yeah, I think I think we kind of like chastity now, but I think all the heartbroken could could be on this list somewhere. Right. Yeah. And they're they're I I do like chastity and I I distinctly remember like how afraid we were when chastity was showing all this interest in rain. I think we both did it, did it. Uh oh. But um, yeah, I mean, she's a complex character and, and it's not to say that things with heartbroken could still go bad that could that could always happen but yeah i like chastity a lot yeah hobo demon says prancer prancer is a manipulator and he only cares about the people in his immediate circle and disregards everyone else what makes him a jerk bag in particular is that he's willing to sacrifice other people he doesn't know to preserve his partying lifestyle yeah 
Um, yeah, he, true. He's yet another guy who's who's fought on the side of the heroes, so he's earned a few points in our books. But he's not a not a great dude. Yeah, and now he is a giant man. Yep. Cal Subalu says probably Colin, whose whole thing is being a hero who's not always heroic, even as he becomes a better person over the course of the story. He never quite stops being a jerk. When you posed this question, my answer was Colin. So. <laughs> well, yeah. several people agreed with you, as you can yeah. see. Koinich also names Colin, noting that present day Colin is very different from the way he was when we first met him. They also mentioned Kenzie. She's somebody who would probably be considered very toxic, especially when you consider how unrepentant constant violation, her unrepentant constant violations of privacy boundaries when she justifies it with, oh, that's just how I am. Yeah. They said it, not us. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah. Ken, I mean, that's, Kenzie the jerk bag. <laughs> Kenzie the jerk. Yeah. You, yeah. you didn't hear it from us. Um, Greco <laughs> Prime. He's right. He's right. Though. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, Greco Prime says. My favorite jerkbag in Parahumans is the character who is the most willing to retaliate to an act of aggression with supreme overwhelming force, who only ever rarely accepted judgment for their mistakes, even when called out by an authority figure or the people closest to them. One who, at their most excessive, was willing to put the lives of innocents on the line to achieve their goals, and even was willing to kill them by their own hand. They conclude by saying, Taylor is my favorite jerk despite it all, which I think is how we all feel. I agree. And so does Antichrist, who says... Taylor is the main jerk. Yep. Placid Platypus says Cody and Kraus uh, as a kind of self-perpetuating jerk bagness generator. <laughs> they push each other's buttons in the worst ways, leading to two kids who would otherwise just be a bit obnoxious into becoming monsters. Uh, that's a good answer. I like that. And, I, you know, you and I have complicated feelings about Kraus that we talked about for a very long time. But I would agree with the jerk bag moniker for him, for sure. Yeah, right. And, and, I mean, I think it's a good point here that, like... Kraus could have just gone through his life being kind kind of a jerk, uh, but the situation he was put in, particularly put pitting him against Cody, made him a fucking asshole. Um, mm-hmm. Which is good storytelling, I think. Very good storytelling. Up next, we have Death of the Artist, who says that their favorite jerk bag is Victoria Dallin in the Glory Girl days. <laughs> <laughs> I was very uninterested in trying to sympathize with and am understand with the and I'm understandable the. And understand. Oh, God, I can't read. I was very uninterested in trying to sympathize with and understand the pretty blonde privileged superhero that was so blase with her powers that she maimed people on a semi-regular basis for seemingly no reason. They also called out Miss Militia as a fence sitter of the highest order and enumerate some instances where she seemingly fails to throw her weight around to rectify the problems in the PRT instead choosing to apologize for those problems while doing nothing about them. Yeah, very strong anti-miss militia uh <laughs> sentiments from the last the last section yeah i know I'm, I'm a bit surprised i thought she was one of those uh you know fixation uh f- fixtures of the fandom where where she, she's 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 the best apparently not apparently we're wrong yeah and despite um having a, a different read of the conversation than death of the artist and some other people had i do think there were some pretty good points about miss militia made last week uh that disagreed with some of our stuff i think people did a really good job arguing their points yeah there were a lot of a lot of different articulations of that i appreciated that yeah stelhex calls out number man uh hook line and kitchen sink as being good candidates for this role it's so funny how many of these people are currently sitting around the fire with their (laughs) heroes yeah I mean, hook, line, and kitchen sink are a perfect example of like, nah, they just suck, right? But like, they're not <laughs> as bad. They're not as bad as a lot of the really bad people in this world, right? They're just very, yeah. they're just like thugs. They're just opportunistic thugs. Yeah. It's like, ah, you jerks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tassarwat names Pigo. She was fair. She successfully killed both Crawler and Mannequin, and she was sometimes a decent person to people, but she was also Pigo. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love that. I I remember I got shit for being like pro Pigo, uh-huh. but I don't remember being pro Pigo. I guess I was just trying to understand her. Well, I mean, I think she's a fantastic character. I, yeah. I, I wouldn't want to be her friend. Like, she's and, a total and, jerk bag. <laughs> and, 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 and she's a badass, too. But, like, I think part of it is that, like, she's just so mean to um, everyone who we like yep. that it's hard to like her. True. Yeah. But yeah. she's a badass. She is. Awesome Toast says, you got to at least hand it to Cherish for having the gall to try to take over the nine. Her conversation with Regent also humanizes her a lot, uh, but she's also terrible. <laughs> yeah, she, she's. That's a, I mean, she's she's super terrible, but yeah, the story does does humanize her, um, and overall, she ends up being kind of a favorite character just due to how kind of uh, over the top she is as a as a character. Yeah, 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 and she's still presumably <laughs> alive, the, the bottom of the bottom of the bay, yeah. hanging out in Earth Bet. Yep. H- hello. Yeah what's going on up there <laughs> wolf tamer nine names trickster a character who first comes off as a fairly typical wise cracking smug character with moments of occasional rudeness who gradually shows himself to be a manipulative aggressive asshole oh kraus yeah right i mean i i think i think this is i think trickster kraus really is the, the perfect answer to this question because it's like yeah you you kind of love to hate him yeah yeah um, Lost Man 138 says Amy saying she's evil in a person you know way rather than an exaggerated fictional seeming way. They say uh, while while very strong powers wise, Amy lacks charisma, creativity, and or strength of will. This is what makes her fascinating as an antagonist. I thought that was just a really good remark. Like, yeah, I mean, like normally a, a big a big bad a big antagonist is is going to be charismatic creative and, and strong and, and willful and it's like no that's that, that that's not her at all that's not the direction we're going with this yeah um yeah um where were we sandwich sandwich, sandwich says Fursi. first first say yeah uh was considering an action that would have killed thousands in order to kill behemoth making her very similar to the kind of cold utilitarian that we all love Making I don't know. him, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't know why I said yeah. that. Yeah, making him very similar that's, to... That's that's Matt's fault, that's not Sandwich's fault. fault. Yeah, um, yeah. basically saying Fierce is, is is this kind of cold-hearted, rational utilitarian, just like uh, a lot like Taylor. I mean, that, that's why they were kind of put in that scene together. Um, yeah. He was just trying to do a spirit bomb. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's right, everyone. I watched an anime. <laughs> uh, they'll never stop, Scott. <laughs> um <laughs> Watson gives Lord of Loss, a guy with a very distorted perspective who isn't really trying to hurt anybody in particular. It's just that his worldview is really messed up. I mean, yeah, I think their answer was actually a bit more articulated than what I summarized here. Um, but 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 Lord of Loss being um, a jerk but not a horrible monster, I think, qualifies definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked him as a character. Yeah. yeah. Finally, we have Data Snake 69 who says Shortcut is an example of a character I like reading about because they're such a dickhead. And Lisa is a character I like even though they can be a real jerk sometimes. Shortcut's weird grudge against Victoria comes off as comedic and he's fun to laugh at. Lisa can be spectacularly unpleasant when she's in a bad mood, but she also reaches out to isolated and hurt young people. She's the jerk with a heart of gold. I, I like that answer a whole, whole lot. 
yeah, I like that they kind of gave a little bit of a, a breakdown of of the kinds of jerk characters that we like in fiction. And there really are two. They're the ones you love to hate. And then there are the ones who, well, yeah, like like Lisa, who you mm-hmm. just love, but she's yep. a jerk. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, next week's discussion question. So so I noticed um, Wild Bill has this question that he has asked in a few different contexts. And it is basically of the form, who's your favorite character who you would predict would be in very few other people's top 10. Yeah. Favorite pair of humans. Character, yeah. Right. Usually, I mean, I've seen him ask this about other, about other things, but I want to ask this to you. So you find people um, about pair of humans characters. Yeah. And I think this is a perfect week for it because we have this, this huge, I haven't counted how many people are around this fire, but there's a lot. So we have this, this big, big list of characters around this fire. I would guess a lot of people's favorite character that would not appear in the top 10 would be people around this fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to seeing everybody's answers. This is kind of a type of question that I like where people just get to kind of gush about something they love. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and it, it, something they love that is not a character that people talk about as much. Yeah. For, exactly. Because of, because of the nature of the question. That's why I think it's such a, a genius question and why we shamelessly stole it from the author of this yes. book. Right. Now we're, now we're outsourcing not only, the text, but the discussion questions to Wild Bo. Could he so. just prep uh, the analysis too, and then yeah. <laughs> we just read it? Right. If, you, <laughs> if you could just share your notes with us, Wild Bo. Um, <laughs> all right, that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach out to us via our email account at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on our Twitter account at gotwormpod. That Twitter account is also where I do my weekly readings of the chapters. Um, This week is going to be kind of weird with that because it's Thanksgiving. Uh, Maybe I'll try to read one of the chapters tomorrow. Maybe I'll do that. Okay. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85 and Matt's is at moradinamail. Did I do it right? You did. Yeah. Nailed it. Nailed it. If you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else podcasts can be found. And as always, you can find all the shows we do over at our website, doofmedia.com. That's where you can find MediaMD. That's what I'm going to talk about this week because they have an episode coming out this Thursday on Thanksgiving Day because they're Australians um, talking about the uh, sitcom new girl and uh i've got a a sneak preview from this podcast matt oh yeah i'm because i'm important i guess (laughs) Um, uh there was a mixed reaction amongst our australian friends to this show so um, if you've ever seen new girl or just want to listen to some people talk about it on a a a show that is much much shorter than ours (laughs) i don't know how they do it uh check out media md you can see all their past episodes on our website and our youtube page yeah mixed reactions are very dramatic they are they are so it's bound to be a dramatic podcast indeed um also the do the right thing words for this coming week are hellish numerous dim dashing you know what to do folks get over there i'm gonna be a big old hypocrite because i've never done the right thing but have you done the right thing and if the (laughs) answer is no why not I've done it every week since I became aware of its existence. Well, good so, for you. Good yeah, for you. you. Thank you for you your get, earnest c- compliment there. I'm going to give you a pat on the shoulder on the shoulder armor like Victoria does. Yeah, and I I don't feel it at all and <laughs> feel even worse now. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, if you want to, if you want to support any of these shows, consider donating to our Patreon at Patreon.com/doofmedia. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses, like voting in our in our uh, quarterly fan art costume contests, uh, hangout sessions, access to live streams of our recording sessions, and uh, the excellent Discord chat. We also have some bonus content we're trying to release every month. Um, some just random stuff, just yeah. random bonus stuff that we're doing. Sometimes it's writing. Sometimes it's Elliot playing Alien Isolation yep. in his VR headset. Just random stuff. So yep. tons of cool stuff you can get. If people missed it, we did the Chuck Tingle RPG last uh, month. So that was a thing. Yeah, and we haven't announced what we're doing in December yet, but it's going to be very fun. Good. Uh, and as always, of course, go over to patreon.com slash and donate to him as well. It is his world. We are just playing in it. It is his world, his discussion questions. Yeah. It's his world for a while longer until it just is looks like a black void. And then I guess it's <laughs> something else. Um, this week, special thanks to new patrons, uh, Bidoof AC and Doof Dancer Niels F. We really appreciate y'all. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. It's Thanksgiving this week here in the U.S., and we are thankful for each and every one of you guys. So thank you, AC. Thank you, Niels. And thank you, everyone else who supports us financially, but also the people that just support us spiritually, eerily, (laughs) orally. Yeah. Uh, Those of you that cannot afford to donate right now, that is, of course, absolutely okay. Those of you that help us out by by downloading, by sharing, by leaving us rating and reviews, uh, by doing all of those things at the same time while spinning in a circle and rubbing your tummy and patting your head. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Why did they make the word for hearing and the word for seeing sound almost the same? Orally and orally. What idiots. Anyway, that's all we have for you this week. Next week, we continue to suffer from ARC-18 radiation. (laughs) 